Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Coast to Coasties podcast. So today we have our last interview here at A School, and it's come and gone pretty fast. But on the plus side, we'll have the good microphone back on the next and future episodes again, because we'll be back in the studio. However, I did make one big promise that while I was here, I'd be interviewing two very important MSTs to the rate, because we've just had so many questions about what is an MST? What does an MST do? And even one of my personal friends now that I've made through the podcast, Stand By for Heavy Rolls, uh, Rory Boyle, he's been asking me specifically every episode I publish, when's the MST episode coming out? And so I'm happy today to be here with Senior Chief Gray and MST1 Register, who are here to share their insights of their career, where they've been, what they've done, and to give you as much as possible information about what you're getting yourself into if you decide to become an MST and want to be part of the raid. So without further ado, I'll let you Senior Chief now. Hello, everybody. I'm Senior Chief Kristen Gray. I'm the MSTA School Chief here at Trace in Yorktown. I just got here last summer in the transfer year of 2022 from Sector Houston prior, and uh, that's me. Hello, everyone. I'm MST1 Lewis Register. I've been an instructor here at Training Center Yorktown for five years now, two years with the Marine Transportation Systems Management Schoolhouse, and then three years with MSTA School. So how we like to get started on the Coast to Coasties podcast is just sort of get an idea of why you both decided to join the Coast Guard for your individual reason. It's pretty cool to hear why other people join the Coast Guard, especially for everyone who is considering joining them right now. So Senior Chief, I'd like to start with you. Why did you decide to join the Coast Guard? So for every question like that, I almost have kind of like five different answers. We'll go with probably the most dominant. My dad was in the Air Force, and I kind of wanted to stay in the military in some way. All of them are amazing services, but also, admittedly, I get very antsy staying in one location, and I kind of saw that coming, so I wanted to kind of keep up the exploring, essentially. I wanted to go into the Coast Guard because I was going to school for disaster management. I mean, realistically, I actually wanted to go in the Coast Guard since ninth grade, resave people. The Coast Guard is a great service that has a really cool history. It's always appealed to me. But largely, when I grew up and kind of realized what I wanted to do with my life, it was all about the disaster management piece that the Coast Guard's very heavily involved in. I have a probably a, a little bit more basic uh, answer to that question. So I was about 23 years old, and at that point, I, I really had not a whole lot of direction. I had done a few things, worked a few different jobs, nothing was really sticking. And I'd even gone to, done some college and it just kind of wasn't for me. And I started exploring the Coast Guard specifically. I knew I didn't want to be typical DOD military. I wasn't really interested in that. But growing up in the, the state of Florida, the Coast Guard is always highlighted fairly often. We have a lot of coastline there. So they were pretty prominent. Also, my uncle was in the Coast Guard during the, the Vietnam uh, War. So because he was there, that kind of inspired me to start looking into it more. And uh, what I think will probably be one of your follow-up questions and, and why I wanted to be an MST was I found the MST raid and it very much appealed to me. And that's actually this particular rate and looking at it 
and what it entailed is what made me want to join the Coast Guard. So doing that research, it, it kind of pushed me over the edge into, hey, that sounds like a pretty cool job. I would very much like to do that. Well, I'm going to say to both those answers, too, is that oftentimes when I talk to people and how you found the Coast Guard, not too many people I, I've personally spoken with had a family member associated with the Coast Guard. I'm sure there's a bunch of members that have that. So that's pretty cool to hear that you had family that was prior in the Coast Guard all the way back in the Vietnam service. So that was really neat to hear as well. And same to you, Senior Chief, with having family history in the military and PCS and a lot as a child, too. I'm sure you've done a lot of PCSs in your career so far. So what I wanted to follow up with that in MST1 was, again, right to that, is what made you decide as well to decide to pick MST? Because whenever we join the Coast Guard, as much as it's, uh, you know, you can't be an MST coming right in. you got to be a non-rate to start out. And we don't do any kind of MST work as non-rates. And it's kind of one of those things where everyone seems to have a unique story of how they became an MST that I've spoken with. So curious to hear your story on that as well. Of course. So I tend to second guess everything. So I will say I, I kind of wanted to be an MST from the second I heard about it, but I looked at all the ratings very thoroughly. I over-researched everything that is just me to kind of figure out what I actually wanted, even after I probably knew that I had decided on MST. Ultimately, I think the reason that I decided MST is, quite frankly, focusing on the worst parts of every job, the MSTs kind of had the least worst but it, there's more to it than that. I, I mentioned I went to school for disaster management. MSTs are very heavily involved in disaster management, and that very much appealed to me. I'll be honest, I also kind of looked at the ASVAB scores and tried to figure out what would be mentally demanding through that. And MSTs were, I believe, one of the highest scores, if not the highest score. So that appealed to me. I like working with my hands and everything, but I wanted more than that. So you both came through A school a long time ago, and it's stayed pretty similar to when you guys went through A school yourselves. Even all these years, grown a little bit longer. I hear that Portland State used to not be part of A school; it used to just be pollution and facilities. Is what uh, Mr. Gracia was telling us. But I guess what I would ask about that is, based on doing those two missions in particular, well, studying in A school, did you have any interest that you wanted specifically coming out, or were you just ready to take anything that was thrown at you? Because there's so many possibilities between whether you're an inland or a coastal unit, and then whether you go pollution or facilities, you'll eventually be able to do them all, but starting out is completely different realm with uh, prevention and response in two different fields. So uh, first of all, ouch, but also A school when we went through, I think was a little bit more 49 CFR. So there was a lot of cargo piece as well. You mentioned pollution, you mentioned the facilities inspection. You guys dabbled a little bit in container inspections. We had, I would say what, a week, maybe two in that. I think I left A school really being interested in that. So um, I was a little bit interested in response because like I mentioned, that's that's the incident response piece. But I'll, I'll be honest, pollution, while it's obviously horrible and everything, has never really been my passion. The hazmat, the hazardous material transport and everything was just really interesting because it's like putting together a puzzle. So for me, coming out of A school, I was definitely very motivated in the pollution response. So I was lucky enough, and again, uh, thank you for the the old guy comment. 
but I was lucky enough to get to uh, Buffalo Station as a as an MST, and it was still a, a Marine Safety Office. So back in the old MSO days, before there was the the sectorization, and we did what was known as port ops, so port operations. So you got to do a little bit of everything, as opposed to focusing in on one. You still focused in pollution responses is uh, definitely the one of the bases of our our rate but you still got to do a little bit of everything where it's not necessarily the same these days but i was definitely heavily motivated doing pollution response i loved doing it i loved learning about it and some of the other stuff like senior chief had mentioned with, with 49 cfr and facilities when i was here in a school I wasn't super interested in that. I didn't know if I would necessarily like doing that. I was more of the go, get out of the office, respond to pollution kind of person. And that sounded more like in the books, really in the CFRs. But once you get into it in the field and you get to marry the two of going out and doing an inspection along with the pre-inspection for that and putting it all together, I found out I really enjoyed doing that as well as port state control exams. Well, I'll ask you a follow-up to that MST one is that I kind of forget sometimes that we just went through the whole program acting like everyone that we're talking to knows all these things. So could you break down for us exactly what is pollution response entail and what is facilities, what is port state? just so that people who haven't joined the Coast Guard yet even have an idea of what those fields are? So the breakdown of it is most MSTs are going to go into one of two different sides of, we'll call it the sector model for lack of better terms, but there is a response side that is going to, something happens, so we have to send people out to take care of the situation. That includes if there is a spill of oil or hazardous materials or something that's polluting the waterways. That is the aspect of the response side, which they will go out. Again, they will respond to something. And at that point, it's all about getting control of the situation and then trying to clean up the situation or take care of it and and remove uh, clean up the waterways. That's again, I think that's a big draw for a lot of people coming into the Coast Guard and choosing the MST rate is that's what they see. And it's kind of the bright, shiny light for a lot of them, but it's that response. And then on the other side of that is the prevention aspect. So now what we're trying to do and all the jobs that that entails is preventing that response. So we're trying to keep that from happening. And that's talking about facilities that transfer oil or hazardous materials, facilities that are handling, like Senior Chief was saying earlier, dangerous goods. So keeping something, making sure when they're shipped, they are shipped safely and then they are stored safely. With that is also uh, port state control, which port state control doing examinations on a ship from another country. So it is, we call them foreign flag ships because they are based out of a different country. And when they come into the United States, we want to make sure that there's no chance that something is going to happen to them for safety, for security, and for prevention of pollution. So those are the three big things that we're focusing on with 
port state control exams, just making sure that when they come into the port, they're going to do it in a safe manner. They're going to drop off their goods from around the world, and then they're going to be able to safely transit to the next port of call. Along with that, one of the new, it's not new anymore, It's it's been around for a while, but I think it's getting, people are getting better grasp of the, the whole systems, the waterways management system, and that's a big, big job that MSTs have been involved with for a long time, but again, I think they're we're getting better grasp of it, but it's anything happening out on the water. It's making sure the waterways are safe for mariners. It's making sure that the people who utilize the waterways are going to be able to do so in a safe manner in terms of like marine parades or any kind of events that are happening on the waterways. It also gets into different types of, we call them limited access areas. If we have to put a safety zone around something to keep people safe from what's happening on the inside of it, or if we have to protect what's inside a zone, we use a security zone. And then there's, uh, you can talk probably waterways management for like a, a two hours with all these specialty. It's there's very regionalized things, aspects to it, but it's protecting the waterways and making sure it's done in a, a safe manner. Well, also what I was surprised about learning about waterways management when I did a TDY temporarily to uh, sector northern New England up in Portland, Maine, was that the high school sailing team doing the regatta had to get approval from the Coast Guard that they were okay to go out and do that that day in case maybe there were any operations going on preventing the regatta from happening. So that is another big part about being an MST in the waterways side is you get to manage this uh, whole list of people that want to use the water for public reasons and trying to balance that out with the commercial needs for those same waterways and making sure that everyone can use it for the most safe utilization of all the waters. Going back to the response side, though, what I would like to ask you, Senior Chief, is there's a big, big conception that if you join the Coast Guard and become an MST and you see a bunch of oil in the water, that you'll be the ones frontline there cleaning it up scrubbing the ducks and the animals and saving them essentially from the oil. Is this a true conception of what MSTs do on the response side of the Coast Guard, or do they serve a different role in terms of that response? That's a really good question. So I would say that we serve a very different role. There's a couple of things to this. One being that the government cannot necessarily compete with industry. So the cleanup process and everything like that is something that the industry does. So if we were to do it, we would be competing with industry. So we do not necessarily do that type of thing. Now, there are specialty units that will potentially do it in special cases and everything like that. But largely what we're doing is twofold, either ensuring that the operations are safe. So we're essentially safety observers or ensuring that the operations are adequate for the cleanup purposes. I mean, we do have other response roles where we're trying to find the source and everything like that. But as far as an ongoing cleanup, we look like we're standing there and doing nothing half the time. Look at MST pictures, and there's usually an MST who's just kind of standing, staring at other people working. It's not that we're just sitting there twiddling our thumbs. It's that we're ensuring that OSHA regulations and all of these other aspects are being held to so that the workers' are safety is maintained, so that the cleanup is 
done in accordance with essentially government expectations, but also potential other interests, expectations, and occasionally nudging things one way or the other. So I'd like to transition to with that. Obviously, MSTs have a very unique job in the Coast Guard, and we haven't even talked about where mainly, at least now anyways, not on cutters whatsoever, except for one or two billets on the Healy still doing weather observations, which Master Chief was just talking the other day about potentially phasing out soon. So I guess what I'd like to ask next from you both is where have you both been stationed in your careers and what kind of unique roles have you served at those places that you just can't get from another rate in the Coast Guard because of how unique MST's jobs are, the unique places you can go to with that job? After A school, I went to Sector Guam, and it was a sector, but like Petty Officer Register mentioned, it was kind of still run as a port ops shop. So we were just kind of a small sector, so it made sense to stay within what's called the bullpen setup, where everybody's just kind of being tasked as needed, whether you're doing facilities one day or, or what have you. And we had leads in different things. So I got to be exposed to pretty much every mission while I was at Sector Guam. Then I went from Sector Guam to what used to be Sector Portland, potentially will be Sector Portland again very soon, in Oregon, and I was solely in port state control. After that, I actually got short-toured from there to A-School. I was an A-School instructor for four years. From there, I actually had orders to the Healy. It was my first pick, and I made chief and instead went to MSD Ketchikan which was a fantastic unit for getting kind of some different exposures. While there, I actually was the investigating officer there. It's not typically an enlisted role. Chance just played out for me to be able to fill that role. It's not unheard of for enlisted members to do that, but it is rare. I was also the chief there, so I was managing the port operations piece, that's not necessarily a standard term, but it is a a descriptor. So anything that was facilities or pollution was being managed by me, but being done by the petty officers. And they were great. So they didn't require much management. Then I went from there to the National Strike Force, which was actually a component of the National Strike Force called the Incident Management Team. And that is... The best way I can describe it is sort of a command and control unit for national disasters or just disasters, incident response on a smaller scale. So what we did is we were a national team. It's largely somewhat senior people who respond to every incident that the Coast Guard has some sort of component in and support getting back to normal. Essentially, while there, I participated in Hurricane Harvey, where I was the situation unit leader there, just being in control of all information management. From there, I went to Sector Houston. I actually went to industry training in between the IMAT and Sector Houston. That is a program that the Coast Guard offers for MSTs and officers where we can actually go out into the world for six months and shadow the industry to bring their knowledge back to the Coast Guard on how they're doing things, how we can potentially better do things and create better relationships with that understanding. So the payback tour, the idea with that is you do it in the unit that you're in the AOR that you're going to be working in. So I was in Sector Houston and I was working in waterways management. That was my area of focus because 
at the IMAT, I became very interested in GIS, geospatial information sciences, and waterways management is one of the best ways that MSDs can kind of employ technology and everything like that. So from Sector Houston, I made senior chief and got short toward again and broke a rule that I have. I've always told myself I'd never repeat a unit, but I could not resist the opportunity to repeat this tour or this unit because Trace in Yorktown is absolutely amazing, the impact that you can have and everything and the things that you get to be involved in. So for me, it was a little bit more mundane than senior chief. You're going to hear the word sector a lot when I tell you about my career. So I started out as, as I mentioned earlier, MSO, which eventually became uh, Sector Buffalo. That's where I learned pollution response. I got my facility inspections qual there as well. I even got introduced to some port state. You don't get a whole lot of port state control on the, the Great Lakes, but it's definitely, it was an interesting experience being on the Great Lakes because it's just different. So a lot of units that you go to, even though they may be different geographically there's only a few different ones i would probably say um, a senior chief would probably agree with me when you're talking about places like guam alaska the great lakes there's just it's it's different and there's different things you have to pay attention to while, while you're there people are very sensitive about the great lakes up there so they don't like to them a little spill or a spill in other places that people wouldn't care about as much. They make a big deal about up there. But it, it was a good experience. It's a different experience for me. Um, it's also where I, I really started learning that I like talking in front of people, standing in front of people talking, because I did a lot of, you get an opportunity during the winter to do a lot of other things. And I did a lot of volunteer stuff. And there was some specific things that I was able to go talk to kids about what we do as MSTs and things like that. So that was, I really started enjoying that, doing that aspect of it. Uh, I then went to Sector Mobile, Alabama, and I was initially put in to the uninspected towing vessel examinations. And that was part of that bridging program. Early 2010s, where we were starting to implement what is now known as subchapter M, which is towing vessel inspections. But it was, they called it the bridging program because towing vessels were, were going from not being inspected by the Coast Guard at all to then getting inspections. So instead of just one day us showing up to all these towing vessels, they tried to implement these courtesy exams where they would, we would come out and, and enforce current regulation which was not a whole lot it was interesting it was different towing vessels were something i never expected to to be on but it was it was neat met some very interesting people down in mobile and along the gulf coast and eventually i worked my way over to port state control which was what i really wanted to do it was on tops of my list of of uh jobs to do uh, once I found out about it, but um, uh, spent two years in doing port state control in Mobile. Loved every second of it, even when I had to take long rides offshore. Still loved it. I then moved on to Sector Houston Galveston, 
and there I started doing facility inspections. And facility inspections in Houston is, or the Gulf at all, is a, it's a different animal from doing facility inspections, say, in Buffalo. <laughs> and I also there started doing, so I kind of had a dual role with doing facility inspections, and me and another petty officer were doing waterways management for a lieutenant commander. And that's where I learned waterways management, which is a big job. There's not always something going on, but when something is going on, it's usually a big deal and you got a it's very high profile, a lot of typically a lot of eyes on it and there's a lot of outreach that you have to do. You have to talk to a lot of different people and do a lot of different things when you're doing waterways management. From there, I went to sector Key West, Florida, and I finally got to get back into the response side of things. So after being out of response for about eight years. I finally got to go back. Uh, I was going to work on my federal on-scene coordinator representative, and, but Hurricane Irma interrupted that. I also found out that I would be short touring there and then coming to the only non-sector training center, Yorktown, which was high on my list of places I wanted to go. I actually had leaving Houston. I put an instructor billet for MSTA school on that list at the very top, and Key West was underneath that, and I got Key West instead of Training Center Yorktown, was, which was a complete surprise to me, but since being here, I haven't looked back. It has been one of the best, most fulfilling jobs I've ever been to. I've got to teach a lot of great people in the next generation of MSTs, and I'm super happy and proud about that. So you both mentioned in your journeys as MSTs also hurricanes in a big aspect of MST response, even if you're not directly in a hurricane response area, is going and assisting with those hurricane responses. Now, because I personally haven't done any of those, and I'm sure people listening in would be very interested in helping out any way they can. There's a big portion of joining the Coast Guard is helping other people we're a helpful service, life-saving service. You would go out there do humanitarian acts. So could you elaborate a little bit more on how MSTs can get involved in hurricane response, regardless of where you are in the country? So you could be in Sector Buffalo or MSD Ketchikan and still go do hurricane response, but how does this all work? Yeah, so uh, <laughs> that is very recently kind of my area. So being at the IMAT, I was very much involved in hurricane responses. While I was there from 2017 to 2021, I got to go on every single hurricane response, excluding Hurricane Sally, because I was tied up at Hurricane Laura's response during that. So I hope I have some good advice. I mean, some, some things have changed a little bit on how we do our systems for deployments and everything like that. But essentially, I will say, First off, one of the things that's somewhat unfortunate is sometimes in the Coast Guard, to get a qual, you almost have to have a qual. So for our current system for deployments and everything like that, having a qualification puts you at the head of the line to go. That said, if you have interest, talk to your chiefs. 
in all likelihood, the people at the response don't necessarily care whether or not you're uh, qualified. I'll, I'll be completely honest with you. When I was doing any of the roles that I was doing, I was a safety officer. I was a, a situation unit leader. I was a planning section chief. I, I did a couple of other things. Some of the times I actually would prefer people who were not qualified. I would prefer people who had never been there before because they didn't necessarily come with preconceptions on how to do things. They came with new ideas, they came willing to learn, and they came with a little bit more flexibility. So a lot of times, this is kind of honestly where the Chiefs Network uh, steps in. So if you have a significant interest in those types of things, talk to your chief. Your chief might know somebody who's already on that response who could get you uh, positioned correctly to go or know the channels to get you positioned correctly. Now, realistically, if that is your interest, you should pursue qualifications that'll get you solicitations even before that. But opportunities sometimes are slim. I went to school for disaster management before I joined the Coast Guard and didn't really get to play too heavily until I went to the IMAT. Just being at the smaller units, you can't necessarily get the qualifications. So basically what I'm getting at is use your channels. Every single response, I, I, I'm very confident in saying this. They want people who want to be there much more than people who have no interest to be there. So if you want to be there, throw your name in the hat. But also understand that you're doing just as much by staying behind sometimes. During Deepwater Horizon, we had almost half the Coast Guard, definitely overstating there, but we had almost half the Coast Guard down in Louisiana. The people who were behind were vital to keep operations running. So don't ever worry about not playing a significant role because every single person plays a significant role. But that said, Going on responses will certainly help your marks and certainly help your advancement capabilities and help your experience level. A lot of MSTs are in areas that are potentially going to be hit by storms. You will get experience on how to deal with that. I was in sector Guam before uh, that does get hit by storms for sure. But after that, I didn't really have the experience that I now have in spades on what we need to do during a disaster and everything like that. And I can feel pretty comfortable that I can walk into a unit and be of great help that I might not have been able to offer otherwise. So put yourself out there. It'd be appreciated and it would be beneficial. Well, I'm sure in those responses too, you're meeting a lot more entities than just the Coast Guard. I know FEMA is another big response agency in the United States for uh, in terms of just any disaster response. So when you're out there in the field meeting these people, you sometimes get connections to career prospects outside the Coast Guard because they give some pretty sweet offers to try to entice you to leave. So I'm going to two-prong this question, and we'll start out with this first part, is what have you noticed based on your careers and industries and fields you've been exposed to as great job opportunities? Uh, Everyone says MSTs have so many job opportunities, but what are some ones that have highlighted out to each of you just in your time as an MST? So uh, this is all, it all comes down to personal interest, right? So some people are all about being in pollution response. Some people are all about working in facilities. I'll be honest, neither of those really appeal to me. I have had some job offers for both of those that 
doesn't speak to me where it would speak to other people very significantly. What I would like to see potentially, and like I mentioned, I'm very interested in technology, so my, my path might take me elsewhere, is safety. I've had some job offers through, and yeah, I've, I've had a good amount of job offers. I will say I, I, I probably don't have as many as some people because I'm not incredibly outgoing. I tend to buckle down and just kind of focus on work and that's good that I think that that does me well and everything, but sometimes that doesn't necessarily open conversations. So uh, Paris to register here is Mr. Charisma. He probably has a lot more to say on this than I do, but you're going to get job offers in every realm, whether or not they're interesting to you, it will be dependent on the individual, but also some of the times you won't get job offers. I promise you, you, even if you were leaving the Coast Guard without job offers, you will get job offers afterwards. If you buckle down and do your work and don't necessarily get attention at that moment, you will be able to take what you just did and put it onto your resume and get attention afterwards. So for me, I have had a job offer through the state of Louisiana. I really like Louisiana, but I don't really want to live there. I've had a job offer through the LAPD. I don't really know why. I don't really want that. I was extremely honored. Don't get me wrong. I have a standing job offer for a disaster response company. That's a little bit more interesting. The Army Corps, I worked with very, very heavily in disaster response. They have a lot of elements that potentially appeal I'm really interested in marine traffic and waterways and everything like that. And the Army Corps has definite components for that. To kind of take your question and, and run with it a little bit, I've worked with NOAA. I've worked with OSHA, uh, EPA, the state agencies out the wazoo. All of those, I think we would be very competitive for as MSTs. And I have known former MSTs who have been in those roles. As an MST, you're getting exposure, like you said, to a lot of different agencies, but you're also getting experience that will, even if you're not getting exposure to them, appeal to them completely and totally. Uh, just to, I guess to add on a few more from what CRG, CRG had pretty much all of them. Uh, from the, the people who get interested in the prevention side, uh, Port State Control, a lot of them go on to be inspectors with Flag State. Or they could work for a classification society. I had a friend who, who got out of the Coast Guard and joined Marshall Islands doing flag state inspections. Sometimes it's even as much as not necessarily working for flag state, but they could even work for a company that helps them do port state control examinations. So uh, there's, there's a lot of stuff out there for just helping a crew know how to do a port state control examination and then helping them out. Uh, vessel agents is another one I've heard people getting into. Uh, with facilities, working for facilities in terms of helping to develop response plans for oil spills or security plans, a lot of consulting. Uh, I've heard a lot of people getting into that those fields in terms of helping develop those different plans that they may be using. Um, I've even heard people going and, ju and just working and being kind of the 
compliance officer for some of these facilities. They'll help, again, knowing Coast Guard's going to be coming out so many times per year, develop when the Coast Guard does come out, or even some of these other entities, state, local, as, as Senior Chief mentioned, they're doing the same things that we're doing. So if you're compliant with Coast Guard regulations, that typically translates over into a state, local, other federal agencies, they all kind of intertwine at portions. So a lot of people get out and all they have to do is learn some of these other regulations from these other entities and then they're a compliance officer and they're they're helping facilities stay compliant with regulations. So that would be a couple extra that I would add on. So kind of to give a picture to future prospects that want to see the rate, they notice right now as we're recording this, it's closed. And plus the wait's normally a long time. So I understand that the Coast Guard's having recruitment issues across the board in terms of getting people into the Coast Guard. But where do you see the rate going in the future just in terms of, you know, moving forward with our job and what you think the future MST force is going to be like knowing these things? So that's a really good question. There's a lot of those questions being asked at the moment. And some of the answers I'm, I'm waiting for, honestly, to determine what the future of MSDA school is. That's not to say that uh, like we're considering closing the rate or anything like that beyond the A school list, but there's a lot of policy that goes into our involvement in certain roles. And right now, the policy that covers the enlisted involvement in port state control, the vessel examinations, is kind of a little bit murky because we rolled out a new training program and we're trying to figure out how to incorporate it with existing training structures that exist for enlisted. So determining how that fits is really going to be one of the key components in identifying what a school looks like in the future. So in all likelihood, there's some rumors out there about the MST rating apprentice program. That's the MST wrap for shorthand. The big holdup, I mean, there's a couple other things that we need to try to kind of identify, but one of the big holdups is really that how we're going to handle the port state control component. Facilities is not going anywhere. Enlisted own the facilities inspection program. Pollution response in all likelihood is not going anywhere. It has become a little bit more heavily populated by officers as of late. It used to be very, very much dominated by enlisted with very few officers to be seen. In all likelihood, those three mainstays will remain mainstays. What we look like in the future beyond that, I don't know because there's some moves to actually, I mean, just I just learned yesterday that there's some moves to bring containers into a little bit more of a official capacity. Right now, there's not really any official authorization to have dedicated container inspector billets. But if this authorization goes through Congress, that could become the next big push for our workforce. And it would be probably very beneficial for us because of the uh, challenges that we are have uh, encountering in some of our, our other areas. Waterways management is a very, very popular area at the moment because it's it's so preventative. I mean, we're not going to necessarily shut down a regatta and stuff, but 
if we have some level of conversation with the regatta managers, we can potentially prevent search and rescue down the road, right? So if we have that involvement, it it prevents bad things from happening. So why not try to engage a little bit better? So that's going to grow in all likelihood. As technology comes into play, we'll see what happens there. I don't know that I can necessarily see where we're going with that beyond drones. Drones are definitely going to be a development. I, I know in Sector Houston, we had a drone team and it, I wouldn't say probably was one third MSTs. It's a collateral duty. It's not necessarily a primary duty, but that could become potentially something a little bit more primary for us, but I don't know what the outlook of that is for a school. As long as MSTs exist, the A school will need to exist. So un unless for some reason we completely reevaluated our structure, which I, I can't say that I've, I've seen occur uh, for a pre-existing rate. So MSTs are going to need people to replace us essentially. So we're kind of evaluating the numbers. I'm not necessarily involved in that. I get some of the data directed to me and everything, but I'm not uh, the one pulling the numbers myself. Master Chief Griffiths, who you met yesterday, he is the head MST. He is very much involved in all of those types of things. And he is, along with others, monitoring the A school list closure, how that impacts the rating. Because at some point, it will put us in a shortfall that we cannot manage. When that gets to that point, when we can predict it getting to that point, the list will open. I can't make any promises, but it's it's very likely the list will open. There might be some other avenues to go into the MSG rating as well. Uh, those will be published if they come along. Essentially, we are going to be reflective of the economy as it is. So the economy will uh, kind of dictate where we go. As you get more knowledgeable in the Coast Guard, you can probably use that to kind of figure out where we're going to go. In this job, I've learned of a lot more channels than I was probably aware of ever before. That doesn't mean that the people out there who do not have those channels are honestly coming to any different conclusions that I would have otherwise. So most of the things that we're dealing with are probably pretty predictable. So if you kind of think something's coming, you might be right. Well, thank you very much, Senior Chief, for that insight. I mean, a lot of people were just asking about that too, knowing the, the info that the recruiters are telling them all they hear is, oh, the list is closed. You can't be an MST right now. So to actually give the purpose behind what's going on behind the scenes really helps ease their concerns on that. To wrap up for the episode today, I just wanted to ask you both one more question. And that's if you had to give advice to someone thinking about going MST, who's either not in the Coast Guard yet, but wants to join the Coast Guard to be an MST specifically, maybe a non-rate who's currently waiting to decide what they want to go and they're thinking MST, what advice would you give them in terms of general career advice and uh, aspirations? Uh, first off, I would say that if you choose to be an MST, you're making the right call because personal opinion, it is very biased. It is the best rating in the Coast Guard. Uh, I've loved every second of it. Um, my advice, I think, would be don't say no to anything. Be open. You you come in and you be you're 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 being an MST and and like I said, I I was really drawn into pollution response and really wanted to do pollution response. 
and there are things that I didn't think that I wanted to do. And then you start doing that job and you learn that it's pretty cool. I'm learning a lot of cool stuff, but it's easy to pigeonhole yourself as an MST, as senior chief alluded to earlier. Some people who want to be only response, some people want to be only prevention. And and later on in your careers, that that's a decision you're going to have to make in terms of a pathway you want to go. <clears throat> but while you're early on in your career, if you have that opportunity, take that opportunity. Yeah. So I, I would just mention or say again, don't don't say to no and anything. Uh, if uh, if something pops up, be that person raising your hand and, and volunteering to go because you're gonna be so much better off for it down the line. I very much agree with Petty Officer Register. Uh, don't say no. Get experience in everything that you can possibly get. Um, just because you don't have to doesn't mean that you shouldn't. Right now, we have uh, some core competencies that are required for advancement that wasn't necessarily a requirement before. People who failed to get those competencies are potentially now racing to get them to be able to advance. The people who did get them don't have to worry. They're ready to go and potentially able to advance a little bit quicker because of the other people not having the foresight. Also, to second what Paris Register said, you, you never know what you don't like or you do like until you've done it in all likelihood. And I'll tell you, I've changed what I've wanted to do every single tour that I've been at. I mean, some of that could be that I just have ADD, which could be kind of seen probably from my unit history. Some of it could be just because of the stuff that I've learned at those tours. But the biggest advice that I have is educate yourself, be it through either getting as many qualifications as possible, getting good at those qualifications. Don't just get a qualification to check a box and move on. Actually get proficient, stick around and try to get proficient, try to move on to the next one, be smart about it, but also talk to people. If you don't have a chief, uh, an MST or a bosun mate or, or what have you, use your first classes. In all likelihood, they have some channels as well to get you hooked up with somebody that that could potentially answer your questions or answer your questions as they are. You can't get answers until you ask. You need to talk to be able to uh, get those. To put a plug in for the mentorship program, I know that there's a handful of MSTs on there. If you are interested in being an MST, search out MSTs and and reach out to them if you're in stations, I don't know, some place, station Antarctica, let's go with, and you don't have any MSTs there besides the Healy that visits every so often, go on to the mentorship program, find an MST, hit them up with as many questions as possible. Don't necessarily take their advice blindly. We have some people out there who have very, very strong biases, but talk to as many people as possible to get as much data as possible. That's the biggest advice I could give you. Coming from somebody who is naturally, like I said, very introverted and stuff, that sometimes I understand that's very difficult, but just do it. You're setting yourself up for success. Networking is a very big component in this job field, and just being able to talk and know as many people as possible will help you greatly down the road. And if you happen to come to the schoolhouse within the next couple of years, you may very well still see MST1 senior chief. Uh, different capacities, of course. MST1 registers retiring soon. So you may see him here as a civilian instructor. 
everything goes right. So, you know, these people, they'll be around in your networks and circles. They're not just going to disappear off the face of the earth. So you can always contact them. And when you start getting throughout your Coast Guard career, as Senior Chief said, take advantage of that mentorship program. I just signed up right after we, we recorded the last episode. I made an account and got on there. So I've been through it. I highly recommend anyone check it out. And like they alluded to, you know, you just got to take every opportunity that comes your way. If you say yes, you never know what doors that's going to open up in the future. So highly respect that answer. So the best advice you can get is say yes. Well, thank you both for coming on the episode. It was great being able to have some MSTs on here finally. Uh, maybe they'll satisfy some of the people's answers and thrive for the MST. But it really was a treat to be able to hear about the rate because it's a kind of a unique job that not a lot of people can tell you about in the fleet other than MSTs who are in that realm of work because we're not on cutters, like I said, for the most part. So very unique set of circumstances that we all find ourselves in. So I hope you've enjoyed listening to MST1 Register and Senior Chief Gray. And I'm sure if you have any questions for either of them, find them on Global, they'll be happy to help Maybe MST1 Register won't be there because, <laughs> you know, he's going to be a civilian, but you can still find his email on Global as a civilian. So we will get to him somehow. <laughs> and uh, if you have any more questions, please, you know how to reach me at this point on the Instagram. Feel free to contact me and I'll be happy to answer your questions. Hope you've all enjoyed this episode and have a great day.